You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Welcome. Welcome into the goodness of the kingdom of God. We're so thankful for your presence, so thankful for you seeking God today, and delighted that we can worship God together here in this place. Well, this week begins the second week of Advent. Last week we lighted our first, we lit our first candle, the candle of hope, looking forward with the prophets toward the coming or the arrival of Jesus. And this week we light the candle of faith. Now, different, different places will, ce- will celebrate different words as they go around the candle. You can always count on the pink candle. It's the, the week of joy. That's next week. But some of these other words, they change. This week, we look at the Bethlehem candle, the candle of faith, thinking about the faith of Mary and Joseph as they set out toward Bethlehem, a strange place to give birth to a child. But we're all kind of excited and making our way to the white candle, the center candle, the Christ candle that we light on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day, because we're all just like kids, we are looking forward to Christmas, right? We're looking forward with anticipation to what will happen at Christmas time. Now, for me, growing up, in my house, it was all about Santa and gifts and family and food. That's what Christmas was about. Now, this might sound completely odd and strange to you, But Jesus was not a part of my home growing up thinking about Christmas for a bizarre reason. We we thought about Jesus being the reason for all of the seasons. And so we just wouldn't talk about Jesus during the Christmas season. Now, I know that sounds a little odd, but that's how I grew up. Now, with a focus upon Santa and a focus upon gifts, my mom loves Christmas, loves it. She loves giving gifts, she loves the joy, the decorations, the cheer, she loves it all. And so likewise, my sister and I get caught up in focusing on the red man in the suit. We focus on the man sliding down chimneys, or in our case, through sliding glass doors. Evidently, that's an acceptable alternative entry for the uh, heavyweight booted man to come into our house. Well. With my mom believing so much in the magic of Santa and Christmas, my sister and I, we wanted to believe as well, but we also wanted proof. Do you know what I mean? We wanted proof that Santa was real. And eventually we decided on a little plan. We hatched an idea to catch the claws. We decided to sleep out, hoping to hear the bells or to feel the reverberation of the boots or hear some reindeer or something, we would camp out, drag our sleeping bags around the Christmas tree. And it would take us a while to go to sleep. Finally, we would go to sleep. And we would wake up, and there would be lots of presents, and we would realize we'd missed Santa. We'd missed him. We kept thinking, each year trying to come up with a new plan, and we finally hatched a foolproof plan, a trap for Santa Claus. Yes, we were going to drag our sleeping bags out around the Christmas tree, but we were going to string up tripwire 
with our mother's bells and string all around the Christmas tree. And we had trash cans, plastic ones and large metal ones that we would put clanky stuff in so that when they tripped over the wire, when Santa tripped over the wire, it would make a loud noise. And we were just, we had him. We really couldn't go to sleep this year. We got our trip wires all out, everyone asleep, and we waited. And we woke up, and we looked, and there were presents everywhere, wires tripped and trash cans turned over, and bells were all silent. It failed. Our plan had failed. Well, we gave up for a long time, still wanting and longing for proof of Santa, still believers in the magic of Christmas. Yes, I think I was a sophomore in high school. No, I'm, I'm kidding. We were, we were still in elementary school, but we, pla we hatched a new plan. Mom and Dad said, well, are you guys going to sleep out, try to catch Santa Claus this year? We said, nope, not going to do it. Not going to catch Santa this year. Oh, okay, well, all right. But we had a plan to catch Santa that we were not going to tell our parents about. We waited for them to go to sleep. And wanting to get our proof, we went to the Christmas tree and we strung up our trip wires. Same bells, but we were much more quiet. We went to sleep pretty quick that, that night. And then we heard, the bell's ringing. We heard trash cans falling. We hear a stumble and a grunt. And we look up and around, and the wires are tripped. But no presents? No Santa? No bells? No reindeer? We did find Mom in the kitchen with a hula hoop. <laughs> she told us it was okay, that Santa was not here. She had tripped over it. And we said, all right. We went back to sleep, waking up the next morning with presents. Still no Santa. You know, we gave up trying to catch Santa. We gave up focusing on Santa. But, you know, there's something of a choice that you have to make at Christmas time. Are you going to focus on the magic of Santa? Or are you going to focus on the reality of Jesus Christ? And you have to be careful because sometimes people will put those two together in one box, and that becomes quite dangerous. As we look at this series of gathering around our Advent wreath, we're trying to see about thriving during the holiday season. I know a lot of us just try to get through. How many more parties? How many more gifts? How many more schedules do we have to arrange? Let's just get through it. And I, I don't want us to just survive the holidays. I'm intending for us to thrive, to really and truly draw all that we can out of this very important season. And what I'd like us to do is to think about our own holiday traditions, our own actions, and what they teach those who can watch us. Whenever they look at our attitudes, our actions, when they look at our purchasing and our gift giving, when they look at what is important to us, what do the little people in our lives, as well as the adults, learn from us during this time. Because even adults teach things. Even adults pick up on things from our social media accounts. Even adults know what's important to us as they watch us work day in and day out. So we turn to the Gospel of Mark. 
Mark chapter 9. And if you're able to, would you please stand for the reading of, of the Word of God? I'm going to read two sections. The first is in Mark chapter 9, verse 33. And then I'm going to pick up in chapter 10, verse 13. Then they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. For on the way, they had been arguing about who was the greatest. He sat down, he called the twelve to him, and he said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child, put it among them, and taking it up in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes not just me, but the one who sent me. Then John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not one of us. But Jesus said, Don't stop him. For no one who does a deed of power in my name will soon afterward be able to speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. For truly I tell you, whoever gives even a cup of cold water to drink because of the name of Christ will by no means lose their reward. Now drop down to chapter 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. But the disciples spoke sternly to them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. For truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms. He laid his hands upon them, and he blessed them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Jesus was a teacher, a trainer, who understood that his words and his actions communicated things. When this story opens up, they had just come down the mountain from having seen Jesus transfigured before them. And Jesus tries to give them privately some teaching, some very difficult teaching. I'm going to be handed over to the authorities. They are going to kill me. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. But the, but the disciples just kind of look at him in silence. They don't get it. And they say nothing. And then our story picks up back in Capernaum, the hub where it all began, when Jesus' popularity shot through the roof. And they are walking along and talking, but several of the disciples begin to drift back from Jesus. And they start arguing about who is the greatest. Now, I don't know if they're arguing about who's the greatest camel driver, who's the greatest king. Don't know what they're arguing about. But Jesus chooses to wait until they get into the house to ask them what they're arguing about. And when he does, they're again silent. This time they're not silent because they don't understand. They're silent because they're embarrassed, because they've been arguing about who is the greatest. I don't really know what the big deal is. If, if we were honest, 
We're arguing about these same things right now. Who's the greatest football team? Who's going to make it into the playoffs? Who's going to make it to the Super Bowl? This is the time of the year when we look back over the year's events and we think, what's the most significant events? Who are the greatest people? Who's the most significant humanitarian? Who's the most beautiful, sexiest person alive, right? All of these best of the year, the greatest of the year discussions take place at this time. All these naughty and nice lists. And they're arguing. We don't know what they're arguing about. Olympians, or who's the best healer, or maybe who among them is the greatest. They're frankly just acting just like adults. They're acting just like adults. Competing and arguing. And so Jesus does what teachers do. He does what rabbis do. He sits down and he calls them to him. And we find all these teachings that are they're almost like little fragments and nuggets. They're treasures that all begin with the word whoever. And it gives a teaching that gives insight and meaning that probably directed and turned upside down a lot of the teaching that they were used to. So look at some of these. In, in verse 35 of chapter 9, Jesus says, whoever wants to be first must be last. They must be the slave of all. And Jesus is not just one giving words, but he acts in parables. So he grabs a child in an embrace. It literally means a hug, to take them up in his arms. And he has the child stand in their midst. And he said, you know, unless you're like this child, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I wonder what that child did. Is, it, is the child shy? Is it wondering why it's being pointed out? Then we get in verse 37, another one of these whoever's. Whoever welcomes a child welcomes me. When we hear this, what Jesus is communicating through this acted out parable is that the powerless, the least, those with socially no standing, are the ones that should be welcomed. Now, you can think about the least in a lot of different ways. The least could be someone who's not as smart as you or maybe someone who's smarter than you. The least could be someone who has less than you, or maybe they have more than you. But Jesus invites his disciples to welcome the least among them. And thankfully, they hear this lesson, they learn it, and they never have trouble with it again. No, no, that's not at all what happens. In fact, Look at what happens in the very next scene. They're arguing about who is the greatest. They are then pointing out another disciple in the name of Jesus who's healing, casting out demons, and they want to stop him. They're jealous. They're competing. Because why? He's not with us. So Jesus throws out another whoever. Whoever is not against us is for us. The kingdom of God is not about competition. It's not about jealousy. There is no competition between towers of light. And if someone is doing something in the name of Jesus, the problem is not about Jesus getting credit. It's that we're not getting credit. 
And that's what we're concerned about. Will I be praised? Will I be credited because they are with me? No, don't worry about that. Let the good be done in Jesus' name. Thankfully, these disciples who are acting just like adults finally learn their lesson, and they get it. And they never struggle with this ever again. No, wrong, they don't. We drop down in verse 13 of chapter 10. They've had this example with the child, and now here come children to be blessed by Jesus. Parents of children ready to be blessed by Jesus. And they're stern, and they are sending them away. Not now. Do not trouble the teacher. They're halting these kids from coming to Jesus. And Jesus is indignant. As these kids come by the armloads, he stops his disciples and says, no, no, no. Let the children come to me. Because the kingdom of God belongs to children like this. I think about Amanda downstairs right now. And I saw Rachel Dostal down there earlier with the kids. Can you imagine a kingdom entirely populated by kids? I, I don't know that that necessarily fits in what we might want. Because adults want to be in control. We can't have disorder. We need rules. We need to know who's in charge. And Jesus is talking about this strange kingdom with running and laughing children who are playing. A kind of attitude is not about silliness, but an attitude that's mandatory for the kingdom of God, that we will welcome with trust the leadership that God provides in our life. As adults, we, we focus on earning and rules and control Adults only sometimes, shushing and quieting and dismissing children. Well, whenever we look and see in verse 15, this last little whoever, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, they won't enter the kingdom of God. We need to recognize our own dependence upon God. That as much as we know, as much as we are adults, we are dependent. This is true of adults and children, parents and teens, young and old. We are all in this place of dependence. Now, as we've talking, been talking about the holidays, it can be quite difficult during this time for us to know how to focus in on kids. It's easy to, to focus in on the good things, the joy, the colder weather, some of you don't like that, snow, the smells, the foods, the Christmas market that's indoors this time, right? We get caught up in those things, and it's more difficult to think about the family members that are absent by their choice or by no one's choice. It's more difficult even to think about how do we glorify God in this time as kids are wanting gifts and wanting to express joy by what they receive. Well, there's a a lot of different things that we must wrestle with. As we wrestle with blended families of juggling schedules on both sides of the family and different understandings of how you give gifts, we wonder, how do we make it through? So we wondered, in this time, how can we focus on important things for the holidays? Last week, we were looking at families. This week, we're looking at kids. Next week, we'll look at, at gifts. And the question that I want us to have in our minds as we approach this holidays 
is one that I've already said. How do our actions during the holiday season instruct the little ones in our lives? What do they learn about what's important? What do they value based upon what we value? These disciples who act just like, just like adults are confused and silent. They're jealous. They're bickering. They're arguing over who is the greatest. And they provide for us some insight because Jesus teaches them just like he teaches us. Well, as we lift up kids, I want to be careful that we're not just glorifying kids. I don't think Jesus is doing that. In fact, the distance between us and this story is pretty great. A first century Middle Eastern understanding of a child is a lot different from how children are understood today. First century, they're dismissed, they're thought of as non-persons. And there's things that can be learned from a community and not an individualistic focus. But there are also abuses that can take place. And it's into that culture that Jesus speaks and lifts up a child and says, welcome the kingdom of God like this child. And welcome children, the least among you, into the kingdom of God. In today's world, it's a little different because we lift up youth. We glorify youth and beauty. We glorify them for styles and sayings, right? And in some ways, children are lifted way very high. What Jesus is calling is not just to glorify some age, but to have this attitude, this attitude of receiving what God has to offer. As Don and I have thought all through our married lives about what our actions teach our kids, it's made us do some things that are a little unusual. For instance, we have told our kids that they can ask us anything at all and we will tell them the truth. We will tell them the truth as best we know it. And we'll let them know that we can be wrong. And sometimes we'll even say, now look, there are other views. Other reasonable people think differently. But this is what we think is the truth. Because we've wanted to create a safe space, a safe environment where kids can ask us anything. So, when Nathan at I don't remember what age, Donna, what was it, five, six, said, hey, Dad, you remember that thing that you said about telling the truth, whatever we would ask? And I just said, uh-oh, very loudly in my head. <laughs> Took a deep breath and said, yes, yes, son, I do. Dad, is Santa real? <laughs> deep breath again. And I said, well, son, yes, there was a man who lived whose name was Nicholas in the third century in Turkey. And he was born to Christian parents and raised in a Christian home. But his parents died, and they left him quite a fortune of money. And he took that money and began giving it to the needy and giving it to those who were sick. Specifically, the story goes, that poor people who had girls that didn't have enough money for dowry were in danger of those little girls being sold into slavery. So what Nicholas did with one particular family, a man who was raising his three daughters alone, was to leave three bags of gold through the window of their house. Well, 
in that time, you would leave the doors open, and so socks and stockings and shoes were there, and those bags of gold would sometimes go into the socks and the stockings. So everyone started leaving out socks and stockings to gather these gifts from St. Nicholas. So yes, St. Nicholas is a real person. A real person that we can imitate and emulate because of how he was following Jesus. You see, we have, we have choices to make about where we're going to put the focus. Is it upon Santa? Is it upon the magic of Christmas? Or is it upon the reality of how we might give gifts and be a part of a very important game of giving gifts to one another, giving gifts to the needy, an important thing that needs to happen. Now, all of this brings us back to the two summary points in verse 14 and verse 15. As Jesus tells us from all of these stories that we are to welcome the least among us, to welcome the children, and to treat them with respect, to honor their questions, to honor who they are before God, because our answers, both verbal and by our actions, form them. If kids begin to feel dismissed or set aside or insignificant, even in church, as they're shushed and silenced, they will learn that church is not a place for them. How is it that we welcome children into this life of adulthood, into this life of Christ, and help show them the importance of following Jesus? Another thing for all of us is not simply welcoming the least, but welcoming the kingdom of God like a child, recognizing that we are all children. We are all kids in the presence of God. We are all those dependent upon an eternal parent who has given us life and who is taking care of us. So, however you approach the holiday season, what do your actions and your attitudes teach others about Jesus in this time of faith and of hope, of anticipation of the coming of Jesus? Will we be those who will welcome children and welcome the kingdom like a child? How can we be just like kids? Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for all that you are. For being a parent better than any parent we could ever have. We thank you for our parents, those that we know and those that we don't know. And for the ways that they raise us and the ways that maybe even we've learned by their mistakes. But we thank you that during this season we can turn to you as our eternal God. That we can look forward and look backward. Looking backward to the coming of your Son to see how intimately you want to be connected with us. That you want to live among us in this world. And to look forward. To look forward to the coming again of Jesus in fullness. And it is our prayer, our continued prayer, that in this present moment, that Jesus, you will continue to come into our lives and that we'll be aware of how our actions and how our attitudes teach others about the true and the living God. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.